podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratycast. My name is Dale O'Donnell and I'm delighted to be joined again this week by Mike. Of course, we have the return of the Premier League and we're going to be previewing this game against Spurs. I'm delighted to be also joined by Ricky Sachs from the Last Word on Spurs podcast. How are you, Ricky? All bad, thank you. How are you? Keeping well. Keeping Well, look, more more optimistic now. Football's back about life, you know, not just sitting down waiting for the, the months to go by, waiting for a ball to be kicked again. And obviously, as we're recording this podcast... Sheffield United and Villa, are, 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 that game has taken place. You, you briefly touched on before we started recording about the VAR decision, which didn't see Sheffield get the goal that they warranted. <laughs> um, Ricky, football is back. It is indeed. It is indeed. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's again, one of those weird things that we're playing Man United. It's a typical kind of a flashback to Pedro Mendes. I'm sure you'll remember that, where we should have <laughs> should have, got that win up against you guys. And um, that, that, that ball was much more clearly over the line than what we just saw tonight. Well, it's very true. But as a Spurs fan, we always do like to play the victim card. So it's the reason why we, we go back and see where we've had the injustice done to us. So it's good that it's working. I hope it'll carry on working for our game against you guys on Friday. We'll have to see about that. Um, Mike, just before we get into the, the whole preview chat at the Spurs, I want to talk about Marcus Rashford. You're Obviously, I'm, I'm sat here in Ireland, where I'm from. You're someone from the UK, from Manchester. Marcus Rashford has done more in the past two, three months than any politician I can see in the UK right now. Now, people listening might say, as someone from Ireland, you're speaking quite ignorantly. Am I wrong? No, absolutely not. Um, him and a couple of other footballers, people like Raheem Sterling and uh, Troy Deeney have shown far more leadership. Uh, Harry Kane as well, actually, and the stuff he's done with Leighton Orient, his local team, have done far more and shown far more leadership during a very, very difficult time than any senior politician that country. Um, and I think what's really, really annoyed a lot of people about the way the government responded to Rashford and the way that they targeted footballers in general, you know, Matt, Matt uh, Hancock, Handjob, who, who cares the hell's what his name is. Apparently, he can't get Rashford's name right, so I don't have to get his right. He um, he spent the, the first month of the lockdown, he was having to go with footballers saying, oh, you should take a pay cut, blah, blah, blah. When he was asked by Piers Morgan, are you going to take a pay cut like the New Zealand uh, government ministers did? He refused to answer the question. Um, there's a fair bit of, I think, envy from senior politicians and why they like to target footballers because footballers are, by and large, working class, low middle class kids who've made good and done it purely through their own ability and hard work. They've not done it getting a leg up of anyone. They've not done it through family connections or anything like that. And for a lot of senior politicians, particularly in the Conservative Party, I think that rankles with them because most of them wouldn't be much of anywhere were it not for the fact of who their parents were or who their grandparents were or the fact that, you know, 
our current prime minister is King Tracy's direct lineage to King George the Third. Um, you know that guy's not fit to be in office. So it's it's appalling, really. And Rashford touches on a, a difficult issue. There's over four million children in the United Kingdom who are living in relative poverty. But two years from now, they reckon that figure is going to have risen by a million. So Mike. that's pretty appalling. And there's over two hundred thousand kids right now who literally don't have access to, are not guaranteed even one meal a day. And those people, Marcus Rashford is trying to help. And I think the fact that he's done this while he has a full-time job doing something else and probably doing other bits and pieces on the side as well, um, it really is an embarrassment uh, for politicians in this country uh, and this country in general that the people that we've actually technically hired to do these jobs have shown no wherewithal or leadership to do them whatsoever. Just before I go to Ricky, Mike, I want to ask you, because you mentioned something there and I think it's, it's a matter of perspectives. Uh, and you mentioned how, how some of these guys in, in these popular positions in government have come from a lot of privilege and they may not have had to work as hard as maybe the, so, maybe the likes of, of Rashford. Yeah, he's a footballer, he's not a politician, but he had to work very, very hard and be very, very disciplined. And it, it, it's him that is putting the work back to those young people you're talking about, people that were, were once in his shoes. I think even people need to realise when we see a player in the Premier League, go, oh, he's not very good. To make it as a professional footballer, where it's going to earn you a good wage and and set you up to go on for the rest of your life, that's very difficult. It's a pretty. I think it's one of it's not the. It's you know it's certainly in this country it's the most participated in sport. It's easy to play. Um, I don't know the numbers whether it's the most participated in the world. I think it's certainly one of the top two or three. So you're talking a highly competitive field to succeed. People who succeed at the, the, the level of the likes of Marcus Rashford um, and, and Harry Kane and these kind of players, they are the top 1% of the 1% that make it. That's how hard it is. And you've got to work extremely hard to get to that level. And uh, the proof's in the pudding. Michael Gove, for instance, who's a senior minister in the government, um, he's a failed journalist. That's a fact. He was a journalist for The Times, he was rubbish, and he got fired. Boris Johnson was another one. Was a failed journalist. Was fired from his position uh, at the Spectator because he lied. He was a liar. So they, these people are not good at the jobs that they wanted to do. So they went into politics because it was something to put on their CV. That's the only reason they did it. What am I going to do as a failed journalist who is a good person? <laughs> um, well, don't be a good person and run for political <laughs> office in Ireland. Maybe, maybe. Hey, you've seen a goal. I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could work your way in. Absolutely, as corrupt as can be. So, Ricky, just to get a bit of a, an outside perspective on Marcus Rashford, we've heard Mike's thoughts on politicians and, and what Rashford has done and the contributions he's made to to vulnerable children in the in the UK. As a Tottenham Hotspur fan and an outsider, how do you see the conduct of the Manchester United centre forward or winger? Well, I think, you know, he's just shown what a true, young, great man he is. And I can only speak very, very highly of Marcus Rashford from the outside. I think if I was a United fan, I'd be very proud to have that kind of man at our football club leading the top, leading the side. And the way he has stood up, among others, to really express his views. And so in-depth as well, to the point where the government are actually U-turning the decision based on his passion, his desire to make the world a better place. I think you can only really just say what an absolute legend this guy is. 
And if I was a United fan, I'd be very, very proud. Obviously, I don't wish him any lack at all on the football field ahead of the game on Friday. But no, all I can say from an outsider's perspective is that the guy seems like an absolute true gent. And, you know, the courage, the conviction to come forward the way he has done for a very, very good cause should rightly be applauded and should be honoured. And I think, like I say, all the praise he gets, he fully deserves it and probably should get more praise than what, than what he's getting at the moment. And that can only speak volumes of just what kind of guy he is. Yeah, absolutely. And just to get that Spurs perspective, of course, last night, Man City actually defended um, Rashford against the, the witch that is Katie Hopkins. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, Mike. You're someone that lives in the UK, like I said. Um, you might see a lot of her stuff. I just had to block her on Twitter a long, long time ago because I, th- I think even for, for someone that you might say, I might follow just to see what they're saying and their controversial things, that's fine. Some people c- c- can draw that line. But with Katie Hopkins, it's complete and utter hate and it's complete and utter attention-seeking. She's one of the worst uh, human beings on the planet. You know, She's a professional troll for money. That's what she is. She's not the only one. There's a number of these people. People like um, some of these weirdos from America, like Charlie Kirk and um, Dave Rubin and, and these these real just oddballs. And they do it because they're paid. Uh, they're paid a salary by people to do this Dave stuff. Rubin for the Rubin Report. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and um, what's uh, what's the, the little guy? I can't remember the little guy who got eviscerated by Andrew Neil on BBC News. Several months ago, I forgot his name now. Um, but you know, all of these people—they're paid to do this. Candace Owens is another one, the, um, the sort of the token black person that the far right like to hold up as, as to prove that they're not racist. And she's another one. She was sued actually, Casey Hopkins, last year by a writer called Jack Monroe, who's a, a writer and a um, sort of a celebrity cook. But she's also a poverty campaigner. She became famous because she wrote this cookbook on because she herself has been in quite desperate uh, times uh, with a young child, and she created this cookbook about how to cook on a really tight budget. And uh, Katie Hopkins targeted her disgracefully, and Jack Monroe sued her for libel and harassment. She won the case. Katie Hopkins has to declare bankruptcy because of that. Is that why she doesn't want to help underprivileged kids? Probably. Yeah, probably bitter, bitter. I, I think I think so, but she's she's an awful she's you know I think once upon a time she started out as someone who didn't believe anything she said and just did it because she got it got her attention it got her paid money but I think she's just so warped and crazy now yeah. she believes every single word of it it's like when you see these you know uh, these head cases on Fox News. <laughs> You know, that's all she is. And, yeah, I did the same you did. I blocked her. There's a number of people like that that I blocked on Twitter. I don't want to see what they have to say. They have nothing of value to add to my life or to any conversation. You know, I, um, I'm all for I'm all for free speech and balance, but there's no balance in presenting a view from someone that is absolutely abhorrent and completely wrong. And um, watching her get um, eviscerated was, was... I did see those. I did see the screenshots of those tweets. That was very funny for me. She got humiliated, uh, humiliated so much you could put it on a video, uh, put it on as a video on Pornhub. <laughs> um, right, so we're going to get into the preview. Um, I'm going to start, Ricky, with a, with a question. What do you think, or wh- where do you think 
Spurs are going to finish when the season's concluded because we obviously are all excited football is back. I think everyone's very optimistic with everyone having players come back from injury. But push come to shove, where do you see Spurs finishing? Well, I'll be consistent with what I've said on another podcast. And I've just got a sneaky feeling that with Jose Mourinho wishing for the season to end where Spurs had a lot of their injured players out, which was back in February. I see Tottenham nicking that final Champions League spot, and I'm going to say fifth spot, and that's bearing in mind if City do not overturn their Champions League appeal, which obviously they'll be out for two years. I expect it to go down to one year. And hopefully, Jose Mourinho Spurs nick that final Champions League spot, which would be incredible when you bear in mind what Tottenham had in the season in terms of sacking Pochettino, bringing Mourinho in. Still, we need of a rebuild. A lot of players need to move on. We need to make signings. And that would be a great great way if we could finish a season that way. I wasn't planning to ask this question as soon as I'm going to ask it but your answer leads to it. You're expecting Spurs to, to finish fifth but with that are you expecting Harry Kane now he's back from injury to have an immediate impact? Are you expecting him to hit the ground running? Because if Spurs are going to get that final Champions League spot, if it is fifth place you're going to need him fit for pretty much all the games uh, and scoring goals. You're right, we are going to. The, I mean, the, the thing with Harry is that as Spurs fans now, I mean, I think even Harry himself, we are now expecting Harry to unfortunately pick up a major injury every season. The great thing with Harry is, is despite the fact he does pick up a long-term injury, if you look at his goals-to-game record, he still has got a phenomenal scoring ratio. So I still have very little doubt that Harry Kane will come back for Tottenham and will still contribute by scoring goals in these next, well, remaining nine fixtures. I think Kane is more than capable enough of going on a run. I think the enforced break will actually do him good because he's had a long rest. He'll be rejuvenated. He'll be ready to play again. He's got the service from the likes of Hummin Son, Stephen Bergvin, uh, Musa Sissoko, Giovanni Lachelle. So there's many, many options in that squad to help Kane get those goals. And I 100% back Harry Kane to go on a goal-scoring run. Sorry, I'm just going to jump in here a second. What is the... Um, obviously, you'll have a better idea than we will from an outside perspective, Ricky. What is the reason that Harry Kane there seems to be, I would say, just purely from a perspective, obviously, thinking about England, even though that's generally secondary, but why is it he seems to pick up like quite serious injuries of alarming regularities? Is it just a lack of rest time, especially in the last few years? 100%. The, the biggest issue is that Tottenham, for the number of last few years, haven't gone out and actually brought someone in to not only just be a backup to Harry Kane, but to actually go and offer him real serious competition. And that's always been Tottenham's problem, where Kane is an incredible striker. Don't get me wrong there. Listen, he's one of the best strikers in the world. But even still, you guys are Man United fans. When you are a top club and you want to become one of the best in Europe, you don't just have one top striker. You go out and get players to actually compete with the main man. And Tottenham haven't done that. Is that going to change as Jose Mourinho? I hope so. And I think Spurs, if they're going to actually be a force in the next two or three years, they are going to have to go out and actually find a striker that can offer Kane genuine competition. And that's been Tottenham's biggest problem. And Kane has been overworked, overused. And it's hence the reason why now his injuries are becoming more frequent and they're becoming a more longer term problem for Tottenham. And, you know, the fact of the matter is now, like I said to you guys, Kane will pick up this kind of injury every season. I do honestly believe that. I think Kane's one of those strikers, unfortunately, because of the nature of, you know, the hamstring. And when you rupture a hamstring, that is because it's been overworked and overused over many, many years. It's not going to go away. So Spurs have to go out and get another striker that can actually complement Kane or can come in his place. 
Ricky, I, I, I need to stress because previous interviews done with former Chelsea players, I think John Terry did one, I think Frank Lampard, or John Terry was the one that actually did it. He, he mentioned that when he was injured at Chelsea and he was out for a sustained period of time, that Mourinho is quite clear in his, I suppose, view on you while you're an injured player. And he makes it quite clear that he won't speak to you. He won't He won't have any dealings with you. And I, I'm just going to ask the question because there's been a lot of speculation about Harry Kane's future. Do you feel that if Harry Kane hasn't got that arm around him, which Mourinho won't give, you're talking about maybe needing another striker, but Mourinho clearly hasn't got the patience. He wants his players to be to be fit every week. He doesn't really accept players getting injured. Uh, and you mentioned that with Harry Kane, this is a reoccurring occurrence. Can can you see a, a clash between the two? I think the the issue for Mourinho that he'll have is that Spurs haven't got the funds out there to go and actually bring someone in as good as Harry Kane. And Harry Kane is one of our own, as the famous job. You know, he's one of the football club. He is the poster boy of the club. So I can't see Tottenham anytime soon moving on Harry Kane. But what I would say from a Spurs perspective is that Spurs need to go out and find an alternative option to Harry Kane. And, you know, they are going to have to raise funds, don't get me wrong. It's not going to be easy because they do need to raise money in order to go out and bring in top quality players. But I think if you're going to sell Harry Kane, who is, along with him in Son, 50% of Tottenham's goals, then I think that would be really, really ludicrous. And I think, you know, Mourinho, he came to Tottenham because he liked the look of Tottenham's squad. He liked the look of playing with Lucas Moura, with Harry Kane, with Lo Celso. Uh, with Steven Bergwijn, you know, these kind of players that he's also brought to the football club. I think Mourinho, his game plan is very much targeted around Harry Kane, the fact that he can hold up the ball, the fact that he's more than just a striker. He's got an incredible passing range. And therefore, I don't think selling Harry Kane would be part of Mourinho's forward thinking in this next year or two. I definitely don't think he wants to sell him because when he was Manchester United manager and before he signed Roman Lukaku... He made it quite clear to United that he wanted Harry Kane, and Harry Kane just wasn't—it wasn't going to happen. But we've seen the reports come up again in the past few months, and I think going into the whole COVID nineteen pandemic, um, I think like the money that Daniel Levy would expect in return for Harry Kane's signature is just not going to happen. And uh, you might not like this question, but it's been—it's been constant in the press about how. Harry Kane might need to leave Spurs to win trophies. And, and footballers, when you look back at a footballer after he retires, you look at what he's won. And I always go back to the story of Robin Van Persie and how he left Arsenal. It was such a controversial decision at the time. But he left to make something of his career, to win that Premier League title that he never won at Arsenal. He did it in his first season at United. Realistically, how long do you see Harry Kane being happy at Spurs if there, if there is no titles? Or do you see maybe titles happening sometime in the near future? <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, I mean, in relation to Kane, I honestly think we may have, if it's our, if it's Tottenham's decision rather than Harry's, I, you know, I, it's difficult. Spurs will want to keep Harry as long as they possibly can. But in Harry's mind, I think when you sack Pochettino, you have to have a top quality manager lined yeah. up to come in. I wanted to get to that, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what Tottenham have done. That's what I think Tottenham did. You know, they, they there could only be one or two managers you could turn to when you sack Pochettino for the domestic work he's done. Yes, he didn't bring a trophy to Tottenham. You know, yes, you know, we got to the final hurdles of a lot of competitions and we never got over the line. But the fact of the matter is, if you are going to sack one of the most popular managers, not just as a Spurs supporter, but just 
in general football, you know, Sky Sports, BT Sport, ESPN, they all roll out with the coverage of just how well-loved and liked Pochettino is as a man. So if you're going to sack him and then have to pay him off a massive compensation figure, you're going to have to have someone pretty special to come in and replace him. And Jose Mourinho, as you guys know, is box office. You know, he's a man that comes with a lot, a lot of baggage. But, I mean, in your time, he brought trophies, you know, Okay, the style of football, I'm sure you're going to come on to that. It, you know, that's always up for debate. But at the end of the day... <laughs> We're definitely talking about that. <laughs> well, he does deliver trophies. And as a Tottenham supporter sitting here, and it's been 12 years since the last trophy, which was a League Cup, it's far, far too long. And the likes of Harry Kane, the Deli Alleys, the Giovanni Lo Celso's, they haven't decided to stay at Tottenham or come to Tottenham with a view to just being in the top four. They're at Tottenham to win trophies. And that's the reason why Jose Mourinho is the manager at Spurs. I think they already know Spurs. They're sacrificing a little bit of their own soul, a little bit of what Tottenham was all about to bring in Jose Mourinho because we are so desperate and we are so craving a trophy. We've got one of the best stadiums in the world. We've got one of the best training grounds. We've now, I believe, still got one of the best managers in the world. I know what Jose brings, but the guy, the CV, says it all. And I know you guys will be open to interpretation on that, but I honestly believe the guy's got the CV there that shows you what he can do, but he needs the tools to do it. And that's the question when you get those tools at Tottenham over time. Mike, I know you have a stronger view on Mourinho than I have. Um, <laughs> you've always had a stronger view on Mourinho than I have. Go for it. Well, obviously, I was very, very open about the facts that's even been published on the website that before Mourinho came to the club, I never wanted him. I think the guy is poison. And um, I think Ricky would probably be able to give us a better perspective on this as someone who's much closer to the club than we are on a sort of a more day-to-day basis, um, obviously following and covering the club much closer. But to me, it looked like he went all the way to third season Mourinho in the space of about 40 days, was what it looked like to me. <laughs> the, especially with the, the, the thing that was going on with Undombele, and Ricky might be able to enlighten us on that, about what's going on with him. But, he, you know, he does this thing, Mourinho, where he'll just pick on someone when he arrives at a club. It's something he's done since his first spell at Chelsea because he did it with Joe Cole. And uh, it worked with Joe Cole. And I think he did it around with Meza Ozil for a while. And it seemed to work with him. It's probably the best I'd ever seen Meza Ozil play was actually when he was at Real Madrid. But after that, it the returns on his approach was diminishing. So he, he, he got a good season uh, in his second spell at Chelsea, in his second season. Um but he pretty much ran Eden Hazard into the ground where he had quite a serious hip injury that he needed he needed some quite substantial rehab time for and Mourinho just didn't want to know. Um, so there was all sorts of... And, and you just saw the way that the players seemed to degrade so quickly. And it was the same... You know, and exactly the same thing happened at United. Well, Luke, um, the whole thing with Luke Shaw, Mike. Luke Shaw was, was really bad. Especially when he, how much better he's been in the last couple of months, he's been as probably as good as he's been since uh, Van Hal's first couple of months. The clubs, uh, that's you know, he's been really good and shown a little bit more versatility and more confidence as well. Uh, that might just be the fact that he's a little bit older it could help. Um, I wonder whether Luke Shaw maybe moving to United was just a bit too soon. He maybe should have moved about two years after he did, and probably should have stayed where he was a bit longer. But what can you do? But yeah, I I I, I don't. For me, what I don't understand, and again, I would defer to, to Ricky on this, he understands the situation better, but for me, 
Pochettino wanted to do a big rebuild of that squad for the best part of nearly two years, and he was never given the means to go and do it by Daniel Levy and um, Joe Lewis, who is the guy that owns the club. Um, he wanted to get he wanted to clear out a number of the defenders there. He was able to get rid of some of them, but not all of them. And then there's a the whole situation with Deli Ali as well, who seems to have just regressed so much in the last 12 to 18 months. It's like quite astonishing. He looked like when he broke through, he was going to be England's... He could well have gone to be England's best player, one of England's best ever players. And he's nowhere near that right now. But he was talking about the struggle that Spurs have for goals when you don't have Kane. And I think there was a brief period there was no Kane or Son. And you were wondering where goals are going to come from. But he, 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 Previously, Deli Ali would have stepped in to score those goals, but he's not looking anywhere near like he's doing that. Just just before Ricky um, cuts in, during that period in which they hadn't got Kane and, and, and Son, they also had a, a young striker, um, an Irish lad who's in the Irish national team, who was also almost ignored when Mourinho took to the media and to say that he had his two top goal scorers out injured and he was making these excuses, but completely ignoring the fact that there was a young centre forward available. You know, like, well, well, look how much better Martial and Rashford have been in the last yeah, last few months. But they, I, they were they were going backwards under Mourinho. I, I, I want to get Ricky's views on how Mourinho has done during his time at Spurs with with attacking players. It's it's something that I've noticed during his time as manager that when he's had players that you can almost rely on to bang in goals every week. You're talking Harry Kane, Didier Drogba's. And, and so on, he, he had him at Inter Milan too, that he kind of signs players like Slatan Ibrahimovic who know how to score and doesn't worry too much about attacking coaching. So, Ricky, the question is, are you happy with, with, with the football you've seen under Mourinho and has he done enough that you can see, that you can see clear attacking coaching? Because it was something that was brief to me during the time at United, that there was no attacking coaching whatsoever. It's a listen, you guys. I mean, you 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 raise so many valid points, and Mike, you know, you've got such a great knowledge of Tottenham. To be fair, as a Man United fan, it's really really impressive just how much you know in terms of Spurs and, and the setup behind the scenes in terms of Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis. And I'll answer your questions first in terms of the attacking and, and the football. I mean, for me, at the moment, I think the jury amongst Spurs fans is definitely split, uh, and the jury is still out. I think fifty percent of supporters will never ever really get on board with a style of football. The other 50%, I'll be honest with you, I think we're just honoured that Mourinho is here and we are willing to give it a go because we are just so desperate to win trophies. And I think there's definitely been concerns over his management of some players. I think with Tungi and Dembele, it's a really tricky one because, I mean, the ability is there for all to see. And for me personally, I always feel with a player you're bringing from overseas, you've got to give that player at least a good six to 12 months to settle. And we know his quality we saw it against Man City when he was playing for Lyon. He absolutely tore City to shreds in the Champions League. And we've seen glimpses at Tottenham. And you're right, Mike, what you said. He's come through the door and he's picked on Ndombele. And to be fair, I mean, I've got to say that during this lockdown period, he looks a lot more leaner. He looks sharper. Yes, we haven't seen him kick a ball yet, but I've been really impressed by his attitude. I think Mourinho knows he's got a player there. And you're right what you're saying. He's done the same thing before with Joe Cole at Chelsea. I think he did it with Arjen Robin. He done it with Samuel Eto'o at Inter Milan, where Eto'o was adamant. He was a striker. And Mourinho was the only <laughs> manager that would allow him to go out and play on the wing. So he's definitely got the ability. Sorry, Ricky. To... 
Eto yes. actually played at left back in two fixtures for Inter Milan that season. Well, there you go. <laughs> Remember that. This is what I mean, though. He, he has got that ability to get into the mind of a player to get the best out of them. And I, I know it could either go one way or another. And I know this is very old-fashioned mentality coaching from Mourinho because you'd argue that maybe that has kind of gone out of the game now because of the agents, because of the nature of the way football is. Maybe it's no longer like that. But, you know, to be fair, I think a lot of people at Tottenham will feel that when they were watching Ndombele live, he wasn't doing enough. Now, whether this is, again, a, a case of adapting to a new league. We know the Premier League is a much more physical and faster-paced league than Liga. I think you've got to give the man time. And, you know, with Mourinho, for me, I've always said that I won't judge him this season. I will judge him from next season once he's had a full pre-season. In a really perverse kind of way, he has had a kind of pre-season with the players. He has got to know him a bit better. We're playing Man United this weekend or this Friday where... We've got the options of Soko available. We've got Bergwijn available. We've got Kane. We've got Son. If this fixture was played three or four months ago, we wouldn't have had those players. And you guys were in incredible form. I would have backed you to probably beat us 4-5-0. That's how poor we was. But the football style of play, I mean, it hasn't been great. But I am willing to give it time because it's Jose Mourinho. But if I'm being honest with you, you wouldn't know it was Jose Mourinho. Some would argue it's probably Sam Allardyce type of football. But it's because it's Jose Mourinho. You do kind of at this moment, contend with it and think, OK, it's got to get better. Terry, um, before I get on to the starting eleven, I'm going to ask one more question on Mourinho because we could actually do it. We could probably do two hours speaking about him <laughs> and we'd, we'd, we'd probably end up getting back to him before the end of the podcast, to be honest. I want to ask a bit about your view as a football fan. So a quick fire question first. As, as a general football fan, do you look at, your team more so with a long-term view or a quick-term view? Always long-term. Always long-term. I think it's best as a Tottenham fan because Shulks hasn't got me anywhere, to be honest. Because the reason I ask that question is because as, as a Tottenham <laughs> fan, and, I, and I, I almost understand the appointment to Jose Mourinho because I'm a massive fan of Pochettino, um, a huge fan of Pochettino. I really wanted to become United manager after Mourinho. As, as things currently stand, I'm very happy with Solskjaer. I, w- I don't want the management to change at all. But I want to ask, because when it comes to this, Spurs fans, in my view, are absolutely craving trophies. They're craving trophies. And the one criticism I've always had about Pochettino, and he passed some comments about it previously, or in recent years, the one criticism I have about him is he's not reckless enough when it comes to, to winning, say, the League Cup or the FA Cup. And had he been reckless enough during his years as Spurs manager, there wouldn't have been that ongoing criticism about you've never won a trophy. We all know he's a fantastic manager, and some people might say, oh, you've never won a trophy. That proves you're not a fantastic manager. That's not the case. I know Marie, I know Pochettino is a great manager, and he's improved yep. pretty much every club he's went to. He's a great coach. But he wasn't reckless enough. So I asked you, you're, you're more of a long-term football fan I think I what I get from that is you were quite sad that Pochettino was sacked but with Mourinho he's brought in a short term manager a manager who will win a league cup if he sees the opportunity he did at Manchester United he won a Europa League at Manchester United which is a second rate competition but it was still very very significant when we won it. It, it it's something we look back on and we always say Mourinho won us the Europa League and we're quite proud of the fact that we won the Europa League even though it's a second rate competition but Weighing up the two, as a long-term football fan, and also as a Spurs fan that's that's craving success, who would you rather be in the hot seat right now, Jose Mourinho or Mauricio Pochettino? Well, 
I'm not really, you know, hypocritical because at the time of Pochettino going, for me, I, I was gutted for him that he never got the chance to win a trophy with Tottenham because that was the only thing missing from what was an incredible five, six-year journey. But the fact of the matter is that after that Champions League final, you know, the majority of those players stopped playing for the manager. And it's very, very difficult to watch that because I loved Pochettino. I love what he stood for. I love the development of players. I love his coaching, what he was doing. I love the style of football. But for me, I think now for Tottenham, when I talk about the long term, I know it's crazy saying long term because Jose Mourinho, as you said, is not a long term manager. I am very much aware that it won't surprise me if Mourinho was to go next year. But what I'm hoping in the long term is that if Mourinho is even here for a season or two and wins a couple of trophies, it just brings that winning mentality, that ability to win a trophy that this Spurs squad need. And if he goes, then at least we've got that. And I think we haven't had that for 12 years, 12 seasons. We haven't won a trophy. And for Spurs, they need to be able to feel that feeling in order to get back on that ladder to know what it's like to win. And that, this is what it's about as a Tottenham fan. It's about winning. That, and I think that's what we've come to now. That's an ideology that I had when Mourinho was manager. Which the reason I I wanted a Spurs fan on this podcast was to try and kind of pick your brain a small bit. I I, I don't want to be intrusive or, or anything, but it was that when Mourinho was United you know, manager at the very start, I wanted so much for him to to succeed as any football fan would want their manager to succeed, and it was almost I had some sense of false hope because of the job. What happened to Real Madrid? Um, I think absolutely crushed him. I know he came to Chelsea and won the league title, but he was still, I feel, damaged goods. And and the game has moved on. And he creates so many enemies that it's actually very, very difficult to support him in the end. But Pochettino, for me, like, you mentioned that the players stopped playing for him. I, I go back to Alex Ferguson. Um, I look at the some of the things he did as manager that were deemed controversial in terms of getting rid of star players when our fans' favourites um, that were at the club and when he when he when they left it was controversial people were calling for maybe Fergie's head you look at Paul McGrath and Chelskis Mark Hughes you look at so many he, dis- he, dis- he dismantled a title winning team yeah. he dismantled that team he uh, took the spine out of the team absolutely and my, the, the, what the question poses from this Alex Ferguson I, I can see certain aspects of him in, in Pochettino and when I, when I look at that team and, and I always hear it's, it's quite a common thing that, that Spurs players stop performing for him but he also made comments before that Champions League final that changes needed to be made and I, I don't think the players stopped playing for him. I think things, maybe they did. I, th- I think things over time get boring and you need to freshen things up and you need to kind of spice things up with different signings and maybe get rid of big names they think are pushing on before they actually really are past their best. And I think Pochettino seen that. And I think Daniel Levy wasn't willing to take on the the job of having to fund his, I suppose, his makeover of the Spurs side that he built. Um, and... I just look back and I think it's quite sad because for all the work he did, the club did not stand by him the second things got tough. And I look at Pochettino, I think, a credible coach, forward-thinking coach, sticks with the times. He's, he's very much plays football that I think it, it, you deem modernised. And you look, then you, then you fire him. You point Jose Mourinho, who you look in recent years, his football in, in tac- tactics in general are quite outdated. And I, I, I don't see the long-term view from, from Daniel Levy when he made that call. And I totally respect your view, you're a long-term fan, and I, and I respect the Spurs fans are craving trophies. 
but not for one minute do I feel that Spurs fans have the same admiration they had for Pochettino when it comes to Mourinho. You're right. I mean, if I can just jump in there and say that, I think definitely 100%. You know, if you are Spurs supporters now, many would take Pochettino back. And for me, what I want to see Poch do, I want to see Poch go and win some trophies overseas or, you know, don't do it because that will break my heart. Go and win some overseas. And then when he's won those trophies, come back to Tottenham, come and manage Tottenham. The biggest thing when you say I saw players not playing for him, but there were players that were no longer doing the jobs that they were doing for you know the past three or four years. And you had players that wanted to leave that weren't going to sign new contracts. So Ericsson didn't want to sign a new deal. Toby Adeville would not have signed a new contract had Pochettino stayed. He signed a new contract because Jose Mourinho came through the door. And as you guys well know, he was heavily linked for over a couple of seasons of a move to Manchester United. That was the only reason why Toby Adeviro had signed a new but, contract. But Ricky, I, I have to stress the point. As a long-term football fan, do you not want players that want to be at Tottenham? And I think Toby Alderweireld made it very clear, for over a year at least, that he was very open to a move. And that, that move to, to Manchester United was while Mourinho was in charge. Of course, he's going to be happy when that manager comes. But I think you're mentioning players too, that Christian Eriksen, right, he wanted to move on. And I, and I totally accept the year he got Champions League final, he was a crucial part to that and one of the best players in the Premier League at the time, without a shadow of a doubt. Lovely player to watch. But when a, when a player suggests that he wants to leave, I don't think Pochettino was, was trying to make them for, to forcefully stay. I think that may, may have come down to a to a, a more bored decision. Maybe Daniel Levy, they weren't happy with the money they were getting. But I, from, from the comments that, that I've read on Pochettino before that Champions League final, I believe that he's seen... The changes need to be made. I just don't think Spurs were, were going to make those decisions because financially, they weren't willing to back him. And uh, looking back at what the job he did, I think that's ludicrous. You're right, but again, I have to stress the point that with, with Maurizio, you know, before the Champions League final, you know, he was indicating that if he won it, he'd want to leave, and it's difficult because you think, yeah, okay, well, yeah. if you if you want if you you know if you win the Champions League. Your desire should be, OK, I want to go and win the Premier League. I want to go and do the double. I want to go do the treble. What you don't do, I don't think, before a Champions League final is giving any indication to the players or the board that you may step away from the football club. And this yeah. is someone that I'm speaking of five years of pure love of Maurizio Pochettino. Believe me, it was a very, very hard day to see him leave the football club. No one wanted him to go. This is the tricky thing that we didn't want it to go. It's like a relationship where you're in love with someone. Yeah. But you know that the longer you stay with that person it's only going to get worse. And for Tottenham, and, and especially the board at Spurs, it's a case for Tottenham that Champions League football is essential. They don't care about trophies. They just want top four. That's what keeps the finances ticking over. They've got the new stadium to pay off for. They've got the training ground. So for Tottenham, it's always been about top four. And the minute, and you're right, you're, you're saying, the minute that came under risk, rather than back the manager, they decided to let him go. Yeah. But the problem is, as supporters, we definitely saw a change in Maurizio in that final season. Yes, it was probably because he didn't get back. Yes, it was probably he didn't get his targets. But at the end of the day, once that season starts, you have to get on with the players you had. And we definitely saw a change in mood from Pochettino. It definitely affected the squad. It affected the key players. And you can bet your bottom dollar, listen, Daniel Levy's got a good relationship with some of the key players at Tottenham. I'm sure Daniel knew the players' feelings before taking the team to let Maurizio Pochettino go. He even said it was still his hardest decision in football. The fact that Daniel Levy has said that they may be one day open to a return, that tells you the respect they've got for the man. The fact that Pochettino himself has said there's unfinished business at Tottenham, 
we all want him to come back, but we want him to come back when the man is a winning trophy manager. And this is the reason why Spurs have had to make the change they did. Do I like it? Mm. Again, uh, at the moment, I'm kind of split. But I have to give the current man a chance. You know, you have to give the man a chance. He's not had a full season to work with this group yet. And I have to believe the football's going to get better, Chats. If I don't, then I will be sad. <laughs> Mike, your thoughts on Pochettino? Just because... Uh, well, well, first I want to go to, to Ricky, just quickly. Um... During that final season, there was so much talk about Manchester United and Pochettino. Do you think he may have kind of left his hand open too long that it got to the stage where he was kind of contemplating his future? It sounded dodgy to Spurs. They had to make a decision when the results weren't going well because it looked like if United came in for him, that he would have jumped ship. He, he, he never made it clear that he his long-term future was at Spurs. So do you feel maybe they felt, well, our long-term future is not with Pochettino? I think uh, there was there was a number of factors in play. I think certainly at the point in time of coming up to that Champions League final, he would have every reason to believe that vacancies would have been open both at Manchester United and at Paris Saint-Germain. And still at that point in time, it had been announced that Allegri was leaving Juventus, but um, there'd been no announcement as soon as replaced him, although there was rumblings about Sarri. Well, Sarri, by all accounts, was not their first choice. Um, so I think maybe he was maybe he was almost hedging his bets on um, whether he may have got an offer from elsewhere when I think he felt in the end that um, if he wasn't going to get backed by the board to rebuild the squad as he saw fit and maybe get rid of a number of the key players. He touched on Toby Alderweireld. I've seen nothing of Toby Alderweireld in the last 12 months that suggests he was worthy of a new deal at Spurs. I think they should have sold him and probably Jan Vertonghen as well and picked up a new centre-half to go alongside Sanchez. So that looked like there was a bit of an issue there to me. Um, again, Ricky might be able to give better perspective of that seeing him more regularly but from what I've seen of Alderweireld, he'd been poor for a very long time. Um, and I think he just, I think towards the end of that last full season that he had at Tottenham, he lost a lot of his motivation to be there, and when he hedged his bets and maybe probably heard noises, I don't think United was certain on sticking with Solskjaer even after him off giving him that new deal into the summer, and I think PSG, there was lots of uncertainties there surrounding Neymar and Tuchel. There's still a hell of a lot of uncertainty surrounding Thomas Tuchel, or there certainly was going into the enforced break that we had although I think Hansi Flick might keep his job might keep the job there now so I mean I think there was a lot of factors in play he maybe hedged his bets on getting an offer from elsewhere it never came and in the end um, everything just broke down I personally think they should have rebuilt that squad um, maybe 12 months before even sacking Pochettino they should have done it the previous summer to be honest going into that season um, but I don't think Levy was willing to sacrifice um, the possibility of maybe having a season without Champions League football in the new stadium. I can see both sides of the argument. Ricky, I just want to get your Spurs starting prediction for the match on Friday night. We're going to talk a bit about the game itself uh, and to gather some excitement. We, going into the game now, Friday night, with the starting eleven, I want you, which I want you to name out. How can Spurs hurt Manchester United? 
Well, I mean, like I say, we're in a great position now than before what we was three months ago in terms of that we have got, to a degree, a available squad to us that we didn't have before. Obviously, we have got Javik Tanganga, who's injured, has picked up a stress fracture. We're going to know more from Jose Mourinho on Thursday when he holds a virtual press conference in terms of Giovanni Lo Celso's fitness. But um, I fully expect Spurs to start with Hugo Lloris in goal uh, between the sticks. I would then expect to see Ben Davies at left-back, followed by centre-back Perrin and Davinson Sanchez and Toby Adeviroud. Uh, Right-back, uh, not really a choice or more of a case that we you know for who's, who's, who's the least worst option. I'd probably say Sergio Aria at right-back. Um, looking at Tottenham's midfield, I'd like to think if Lo Celso is fit enough, I'd like to see Giovanni Lo Celso in there. Uh, I'd then like to see the, the midfield with Musa Sissoko and Harry Winks. And then from an attacking perspective, I'd like to see Spurs go with the front three of Harry Kane, Hun Min Son, Steven Bergwijn. OK, there's two players I want to speak about from that starting eleven. Um, I'm going to write one of them down so I don't forget about it. I want to start with Sergio Aurier for a simple reason is he's been linked with Manchester United for a very, very long time when Mourinho was manager. Oh, don't touch him. And he... <laughs> don't touch him. You don't need him. Well, you can have him if you want. Well, no, he's a nutcase. We'll, we'll drive him if you want. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll drive him up there. He's an okay. He's an okay. We'll leave but... him by duty free, and you can take him. <laughs> Ricky, I, I want to pick your brain on him a small bit because I actually think he's an important part tactically of what Mourinho has done at Spurs so far. Um, as a right back, he seems to allow him freedom to bomb forward, which is something True. that yeah. I, I I think watching <laughs> Mourinho when he was United manager and 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 what I seen from the team. It was I often complained that the fullbacks weren't allowed to cross the, the halfway line. Um, I didn't see that freedom. I thought it was a problem. It was it, Your forward should be passing the, the halfway line, should be whipping and crosses. End of story. Especially in the modern game when you see the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold creating so many assists. So when I've watched Spurs this season, now forgive me if I'm wrong because I haven't seen him as much as you've seen him. But I can see when all your bombs forward, it kind of, there's a back three create. And he's kind of yes. used as that That's attacking right, yeah. influence from that right-hand side. So you, you might say, oh, we, you get him in a taxi to Manchester if you wanted him. But although he might not be great defensively, although he might be a complete nutcase, he's a massive part to that team tactically. You're right. No, he, he is a massive part of the team tactically. I mean, I'm just trying to think ability-wise, is, is it worth the risk, to be honest with you? Because mm. uh, the guy is, I mean, I know Mike was laughing, he, he is just an absolute... A head case. I mean, you just do not know what you are going to get week to week. And there's clearly ability there. You know, there's no doubt Serge Aurier has got a great, great cross on him. Defensively, at times, uh, it's erratic. That's my only concern. We've seen it earlier in the season where he gave away penalties and it's the individual errors. I mean, if you keep him out of your own six-yard box, you might have a decent player there. But you can't long-term deal with that. You, you really can't. So he's a player that if we could get our money back tomorrow, I would take it. But have Spurs got any other better options there? Probably Tanganga, who's a young kid coming through that Mourinho gave a chance to. Worth making that note. Mourinho was the man that gave Tanganga his first start in the Premier League. What happened I think then? Tanganga would have played there. So it's a really tricky one. I think Aurea will be there. Not really out of choice, more out of circumstance, really. So he's a key player of Mourinho's plans because he does give him, bizarrely as you guys know with Mourinho, doesn't really allow players to have much of a free reign. But Aurea has the whole right-hand side flank. 
and pretty much can do what he wants, which is again I, concerning. I, I, I'm going to give a surprising defence of Aria, and I know Mike is going to give an opposite, I, I feel anyway. Um, I think looking at Mourinho's time as Manchester United manager, I look at a prime example of Marilyn Fellaini, who among United fans, I think we'd, we'd all say that is not anywhere near a, a, the best midfield we've seen wear a red shirt, but he he provided he provided something, and I think I looking at Mourinho's previous teams and two players that kind of I compare is John B. Mikel and Marvin Fellaini in terms that what Mourinho asks of them, they do they, they they take instructions very very well. His way of managing a team is controlling a football match. He wants to control the match at all times. He might be ultra-defensive in in certain games. His whole thing is to control a game and have total control. And in order to have that kind of managerial um, kind of persuasion, you need players that are going to take orders. And we mentioned how Aria is is beneficial to to Spurs in fact that he's he's used to kind of bomb forward on that right flank. They go back to a back three when when he does cross the halfway line. He's useful. Marvin Flaney's not a great footballer. I don't care what anyone says. He's not a great footballer. He's nowhere near a great footballer. But as when he was at Manchester United, I could understand when he was included in teams. Because he's not a nice player to play against. He's quite anti-football as a footballer. And I think Mourinho used that to his effect. So I think Aurier, Spurs fans might not rate him. But he's a very, very important part to what Mourinho is doing. He likes players that can take tasks complete tasks and he's probably happy with the work Aria's doing Mike I feel you're going to be slightly different on your approach on Aria what's your your view I think he's got all the tools to be one of the best uh, fullbacks around really one of the best wingbacks around he's strong he's quick he's great going forward um, but he just seems to just lack the in-game intelligence really but if he can have someone who can manage him very closely to do the defensive stuff. He might be okay. Um, I mean, it's a tough spot because who else did they have? I mean, they sold Kieran Trippier last summer, and I know he's a good player, but anyone who's seen anything of him in his last season at Spurs, he was awful. He was really bad. He was really bad coming back from that World Cup. Ricky, do you so agree? I can I, I I can understand why Spurs cashed in on him. They should have just replaced him. Ricky, do you agree with that statement, Terbridge, last season? Got 50 million for him. <laughs> do you know what? It's really difficult. It's difficult because, again, like we look, it from, we look at it from the outside, but we never truly know what is going on behind closed doors. And I think, it, it, you know, I, I know, chaps, you, you might laugh at this, but this Amazon documentary that's coming out about Tottenham and Mourinho in general, uh, we're going to see a lot behind the scenes that really we aren't really privy to. And I am fascinated to see just how much we know as, as an outsider, as fans looking in, really, to watch it goes on behind closed doors. I mean, it's crazy. I think Mourinho walks through the door and, you know, there's so many different controversial subjects to talk about. I mean, you mentioned about Troy Parrott, for example. I mean, for me, Troy yeah. is a young kid. Um, you know, listen, all the ability in the world. Clearly to see that. He's been fantastic. For Why didn't reserves, he get but... the chance, Ricky? Why didn't he get the chance when Son and Kane were out? It's a good point. Uh, can I be honest with you? I mean, I was hoping Troy would get that opportunity, but I think Mourinho almost 
was talking himself out of giving him the opportunity. Yeah, it was I almost agree. like he didn't want to be proved wrong. Yeah. That if Parrot came in and scored a load of goals, Mourinho would not know what to say because he kind of wrote the kid off so early. But I mean, having said that, having said that, he has signed a three-year contract with the club, and that has been under Mourinho's stewardship. So I don't believe the young kid would sign a contract with Tottenham if he didn't think there was a pathway to the first team. So. Or else there wasn't a better offer anywhere else. No, I mean, listen, I, I do honestly believe that Troy Parrott, at the time of that contract, you know, he was still a very much sought-after kid. Lots of clubs were looking at taking him. We had Johnny Jackson on our show, who was the assistant manager, or is the assistant manager at Charlton. They would have definitely taken him up and trying to sign him. A okay. no, number of clubs were looking to definitely sign him. So it's a case of where Troy genuinely felt in his heart that he does have a future at Tottenham. And that is under Jose Mourinho. And it will be time. It will be time. I mean, maybe Jose has said to him, look, Harry, you know, he's going to need an option. Maybe Troy will be the option. But I definitely do think that Troy can definitely feel a little bit hard done by that in the period where Tottenham lost all of their attacking players, they didn't get more than just a couple of substitute appearances here and there. Definitely can be hard done by on that, 100%. Mike, I want to ask you about another player that Ricky mentioned in the starting eleven. a player that actually... Strangely, as, as as an opposition player, that I find that I love, Mike. Tell me about Son because when I watch Son as an opposition player, he just makes me smile. He lights me light up when he's fucking banging in goals. He's absolute top quality, and he he seems to be someone that's quite humble and doesn't even seem anywhere near professional footballer. He just scores goals for fun. He's a magnificent player, such a clever footballer as well. Technically, absolutely brilliant, great finisher. A really good first-hand finisher. Um, seems to never get phased by big games. No, he never. is an absolutely outstanding player. And this was the thing earlier on in the show, and Ricky was mentioning about buying someone to compete with Kane. I don't think what you want is a like-for-like like replacement. You want someone who's who allows you to maybe give you a different option to Kane when you don't want to play Kane and play you play in a different way. And I think Son was actually becoming that player, um, which is why Deli Ali regressing was a, a, a blow for Spurs because then you only had one other person to step in. And I wonder whether that was part of the wisdom behind bringing in uh, Bergwijn, who I think looked really good in yeah. the first few games he played for yeah. Spurs. Terrifically hard-working player, great athlete. I think he's the kind of sort of wide attacker that Mourinho likes. You know, he will he will do the work of closing people down and he'll be clever and he can play on either flank as well and anywhere across the line, which Mourinho always likes. So I think it's not it's not so much getting a light-for-light replacement for Kane and that doesn't matter anyway because Kane isn't being sold. There's going to be no big transfers like that for quite a while anywhere. You can forget that. Um, but I think what they need is maybe someone to give them a different option going forward. And I think maybe they haven't quite done that before or maybe they tried to dip their toe into the water with Yorente but that I think Llorente was maybe done as a top-level footballer at that Definitely. point, unfortunately. Um, I think had they got Llorente maybe two or three years earlier, it would have been a very different proposition, unfortunately. Uh, but that's the way things are. But Son's magnificent. I mean, I would take him... He he would make almost any team in the world, I think, starting eleven, possibly any team. I think he's that good. He is a proper world-class player. I think he's outstanding. If you could take one player from Spurs, Mike, who would it be? Probably maybe still there towards Kane. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 if you said Son, 
I wouldn't dis- I wouldn't argue that the yeah. toss against that. Because what I wanted um, to ask Ricky was, would he be surprised if I ha- if I asked myself that question, that my pick would be Son? I would definitely agree with you. I think Hummin Son. Can you hear me, chaps? Yeah, yeah. Walk away, yeah. man. I, I definitely think for me, Hummin Son is a, is a world class player. And the great thing about Son also is the marketing that he brings to the club. You know, Son is a player that you know he's known very much around the world. Korea, they adore him. South Korea absolutely love, you know, the, the quality of this man. And to be fair, he is a guy that just loves playing football. Like you say, it's infectious. He makes you smile. He makes you laugh. You can just see he just loves to play the game. And I think definitely for Tottenham, when you're talking about, you know, who are their top, top players, Huminson is right up there in terms of that category. Because this guy, where we lost Kane in period, Sonny would be the man to step up, you know, and score the goals. He's a contributor, goal scorer plenty of assists, he works hard, he runs miles for the club, and he's a great, great guy off the pitch. And it's very hard to always find those qualities across the board, but Huminson is a very special player. Am I concerned that one day, you know, you know, a bigger club than Spurs will come in for him? Of course I am. You know, United, I hate to say it, it reminds me so much, you know, you signed Jisung Park all those years ago, a player that is very well known as one of the top players great in player. Asian football. And, you know, Son, for me, I hate to say it, he would fit that kind of mould where if you're not looking for a global superstar, Son is at an age where he's still very young. He's got the ability. I don't want to sell him to you because I still want him at Tottenham. <laughs> but he's a, he's a great, but great player. I, I love Park. I love Park. Yeah, me Son too. Is a better, Son is a better footballer than Park. And yeah, Park was but, very, very good, but, but Son is yeah. better. But, but Mike, can, can, can I raise the point? Is I think Ricky raised a really, really good point there. And he, he mentioned partly something on a raging player who didn't get the appreciation he deserved while he's playing in England. We can both agree on that. And I, when I mention Son as kind of like it's a surprise that I kind of would rather sign him than Harry Kane, that's because he doesn't get the credit he deserves in terms of the media. He does not get anywhere near credit he deserves. We talk about some of the Premier League's best players. We talk about Kevin De Bruyne. We talk about Mohamed Salah. We're going to talk in a year's time about Bruno Fernandes. But... Son deserves to be in that category. Going into some murky waters here, but I think there's the same issue that you get with players from Asia than you get with players from Africa. They tend to be pigeonholed, certainly by the media over here. And there's, you know, there's 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 many reasons. There's one big reason beginning with R, which I suspect is part, maybe part of subconsciously the reason why I think people like Son overlooked. It's the way that African players are always spoken about as being. You know, always talking about being powerful yeah, and yeah. fast rather than, yeah. you know, that was how people talked about Jogba. Jogba was one of technically one of the best players in the league. He was one of the smartest footballers in the league. Yeah. There's a reason he led the line for one of the best teams Would in Europe. Yeah. Absolutely outstanding footballer. And um, I look at, you know, and it was the first thing people said about Igalo when he arrived. Well, the thing that struck me about Igalo, technically, he is unbelievable. His first touch is incredible. And I think we always sort of saddle players from, um, especially South and Far East Asia, just being sort of runners, essentially, and workhorses. When actually, you look at Son, technically, he's a magnificent footballer. I, I, I rate him as, as, as highly as, as Salah and Mane. I think mean, he's as good as those guys. Yeah, I really no, do think he's, he's, at, he's at that level yeah. because he's performed... Um, he's performed at that level for the last several years now. I think he had that kind of bedding in period of a few months, but 
Man, once he got, once he found his, he's found his rhythm. Can we mention in that bed name period? Because I want to go to back to Ricky on son. That during that kind of bed name period, that he wanted to leave Spurs. It was Pochettino that told him to stick around. That you will get you, you have your way. Eventually, you're a quality enough player, and he made him forced to stick around. That worked in his favor. But like Ricky. As a Spurs fan, do you look at, at Son and kind of say that he doesn't get the appreciation he deserves? F- for me, he's one of the top players in the Premier League. If I had a choice to pick to sign one player in the Premier League, Son would be near the top of my list. And I, I, I do feel that talking to other football fans, they probably wouldn't feel the same way unless they really thought about it. If you watch him every week, he's sheer quality. He is. I think you're spot on that. I think from the outside, you know, Spurs fans, we know his value. We know how important he is to us. But I do think from the outside, definitely 100% that he's underappreciated by the rest of the league. Because, you know, when you watch him week in, week out, his contribution, what he gives to the team, both from a goal scoring perspective and again from contribution wise, he is a top, top class player. And I think, again, it's always the case that you don't realize how good these players are until they go. And 100% he's a a very, very special player, one that we're delighted he's at our football club and yeah. one that as Spurs fans, we definitely 100% recognise his true value to us as a, as a team. No, that's great to hear. But also, I think all I want to touch on a bit further was Pochettino's work in, in, in terms of he didn't have the easiest start in English football and Pochettino mm-hmm. really made it clear that he was going to be the one that's going to stick by him. And and make sure that he 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 would settle better. He told him to give him one more season. If if you remember the reports, there was talks about Son leaving after one year in England, and Pochettino did so much work in order to to get the best out of him, and he really did. I suppose the question is, Ricky, I can't I cannot imagine Ricky or um, Jose Mourinho doing the same thing. I can't imagine him doing that hard work behind all the scenes to make a player feel more comfortable to make a feel, make make a player feel at home i think if it came to the first few months and i'm going to give henrik bikatarian as an example Mourinho took a big issue with henrik bikatarian and and his training how he seemed uncomfortable with with the rain of manchester and so on i, I look at son and i kind of think that if he struggled and Mourinho was just manager he would have been thrown under the bus. He wouldn't have been given the chance. And Spurs fans would not have been gifted the absolute ability of, of, of Son. I hear you. I mean, listen, I think the, the job Pochettino done to bring Son to the club. And again, I think he was very, very flexible with him in terms of that. He knew that he had to complete this military service. So you're right in what you're saying that, you know, Pochettino did a lot of work with Son to bring him to the football club to make sure he was happy. Because definitely, I think after that first season, I think Sonny wasn't really adapting to life in the Premier League. And I think he even said that, you know, he would be would have been open to potentially leaving the football club. But, you yeah. know, he stayed at Tottenham. Yeah. He cemented his place in the team. But I have to say that since Mourinho has walked through the door, um, I, I think Spurs maybe are doing this purposely, but they are self-consciously, whenever they can, putting a lot of pictures on social media of Mourinho and Sonny. It's almost like they're deliberately mm. trying to make sure that relationship definitely... Why would to, they be doing that, I wonder? Well, I mean, all I can say that from, from the outside, again, Mourinho does seem to have a good relationship with Sonny. I think Sonny appreciates, you know, working with a manager that has won the amount of trophies that you know, he has brought to the game. But at the same time, he hasn't, from what I can tell, he hasn't put the shackles on Son where he stopped him playing his game. Maybe that's to come. Um, 
you could definitely argue that Spurs are playing as a team a lot more compact. But I'm talking before the game on Friday night. I don't know, obviously, how we're going to approach the game. I would like to think, as the home side, Spurs are going to take the game to United. But again, with Mourinho being Mourinho, wouldn't surprise me at all if Spurs do play more like the away team and let United have the ball and then, you know, look to press. But, you know, difficult. But I have to say at the moment, Mourinho hasn't put a step step foot wrong when it comes to Sonny so far. Just before... Yeah, I, I would just... I would just... Go, sorry, Matt. I was just going to say that the one issue that United have had is with teams that let us have the ball too much and sort of challenge us to break us down. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mourinho did that. No, I, I, I can see that definitely. And I think Mourinho in general, quite a defensive manager. I, I didn't really get to ask you on this, but what do Spurs fans feel about coming up in big games and maybe not necessarily going to win those games? Like I, I, I think back to some of the my favourite Premier League games, I'm 24 years old, and I talk about the Spurs and Arsenal games, with, with so many yeah. goals, and that's that's what I talk mm-hmm. about, and, yeah. and it's football that enjoys me, Do you know, it's, it's I want to see goals, and I know Mourinho, I, I, I totally understand Mourinho's method of being defensive and trying to lock things up and to win games narrowly, but that, as a Spurs fan, do you enjoy that? Do you, I, I know, look, a super, super yeah. question. Do you enjoy winning? Of course you do. But did course, you enjoy yeah. winning games under Pochettino as opposed to winning games under Mourinho? I mean, I enjoy watching Tottenham play fluid attacking football. That's the way I've been brought up as a Tottenham fan. It's not always even been about winning. It's always been playing a game the right way. And I suppose in a way I've had to adjust my thinking because it's Jose Mourinho that's come through the door. And sometimes after certain games, I've reminded myself of what he's won in the game to then be able to tolerate the football. Yeah. Having said that, yeah. having said that, I have to say that, you know, up until the Villa game where we had Son still playing for us, and we weren't playing terrible football. It's just a case that he was using the tools to his best disposal. I think... For me, you know, in the big games this season, Spurs haven't done enough. You know, we got the result against Man City, but, you know, they were down to 10 men and Spurs only started playing well in the second half. The Liverpool game at home for Tottenham, we almost accepted being the away side at home and letting Liverpool have the majority of the ball. Now, I think you guys, you know, even though 24, you're, 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 you're at age where you're, you're, you remember White Hart Lane, you remember Tottenham, yeah. what they were like yeah. in that final season. And Spurs were always about taking the game to the opposition. And I think fans... Yeah, Spurs were an entertaining to... side to watch. You know, Spurs, yeah, we, we, Spurs were exactly. always a game I'd, yeah. a team I'd watch. I enjoyed yeah. it. Great team to watch. But I, yeah. I think nowadays, that's been pulled away a slight bit. Slightly. I mean, all I would say to that is that, again, we are, we are judging the last few months of his reign without his top players available to him. If we're talking this time next season and we are still playing the same football, and you know he's got his full quota of players available to him, then I would be massively, massively concerned. But, as I've said to you chaps on this show, for me, I'm still willing to give him the time to you know, get his methods across to the players, let him have this part of rebuild, which again will be affected because of COVID. But I can't get away from the fact that, of course, for me, I'm a Tottenham fan at heart. I want to see attacking, fluent football. Am I seeing that to a degree? I haven't in those last couple of months before the break. Am I willing to give him time? Yes, I am. And I think, chaps, you know, like I say, it's, it's difficult to judge otherwise at the moment. You know, we were, over those last last couple of months, you know, we lost some of our key players, players that were giving us such attacking fluency, where it could be very easy for me to sit here 
and slander Mourinho and give him criticism. I mean, the Norwich game in the FA Cup, you know, we were 1-0 up against Norwich City, a team that was facing relegation, and we sat back on a 1-0 lead. That is unacceptable. That can't carry on. So I'm not sitting here saying that we have to contend with that. What I'm saying is that it does have to improve. And if we are in this position next year where the football hasn't improved at all, then it's got to be a case that we'll have to look at whether we feel as fans he's the right man for the job. But I think with the COVID scenario now, um, it's going to drastically affect who he can bring in in the summer. It's going to drastically affect every club in terms of who they can sign, who they can let go. So football is not going to be you know, back to any sense of normality from the economic side for quite a substantial period. And it's a case now of getting the best out of the players. You're going to probably tell me Pochettino was probably best for that. And you're probably right. So we're going to have to trust Mourinho to coach these players to be better than what they are. Because at the end of the day, he's won all these trophies. There must be a decent coach in there somewhere, chaps. There has to be. I've got one question left to go. Mike, before we wrap it up, have any questions for Ricky? Um, not uh, um, well. Uh, just a quick one. Um, I mentioned Deli Ali before, and how his form had like really dropped off over the last twelve months or so. Um, has there been any sort of noises coming out of the sort of um, uh, I suppose you'd call it pre-season that um, things are going to be different with him? I know he had a brief like flicker of good form when Mourinho first came in, but he's not been anywhere near the level that. I think anyone expected him to be at this point. Delhi is a player that, you know, it, it's difficult. He's still, for me, you know, I keep saying he's a young man. He's not really any more young. He's a man that he's, a, he's an age where now... Is he suffering from Lingard syndrome where he's forever a youngster? <laughs> he's not that bad, come on. I mean, it's, it's funny. Delhi's one of those players where when Mourinho came in, we had an instant impact. We saw, you know, immediately how good he was. And Delhi. He's a player that, I don't know if you guys can, you know, again, relate to United, but Delhi is not a player that runs a game for you. He's a player that has moments of brilliance and you keep him on that pitch because you're fearful that if you take him off, he's one of those players that can come up with that individual moment of brilliance. The problem with Pogba. Delhi is we haven't Pogba. seen it enough. Well, there you go. We, the thing with Delhi is we haven't seen it enough. We know it's there. We've now got Mourinho who, you know, can get the best out of certain players that are a bit of a maverick. Delhi is that kind of player, and again, it's a type of a kind of player. If you offered me a hundred million for Delhi, I would definitely now consider it more than what I would have done a year ago. If it's is on the base that we're going to bring in players that are going to actually have a you know a, a, an impact straight away, and that hurts me to say that because I think with Delhi there's a special player in there. We're not seeing it consistently enough, and I think Mike, you said at the top of the show, he's a player that I think when he broke onto the scene. There was that feeling that, oh my God, this guy could go on to become one of the great, great players in English football. And to be fair, he still could do that. He still could. Yeah. You know, he's still, I mean, he's still only 22 or something like that. If you look at his goal scoring yeah. records, I think he still scored, I think, as many goals at the time as what Beckham, Scholes, Lampard, Gerard, Gerard yeah. has got. So he's a player that's still got unbelievable quality. His goal scoring record tells you that. But there's definitely been a dip off in Delhi's form. 100%. And we have to believe that, you know, we saw it at the beginning of his career at Tottenham. There's a player in there. And again, Mourinho has been brought in to try and get the best out of players like those of Deli Alley, who definitely dipped off in that last season or two under Pochettino. Do you think it's because he's he's quite an unusual footballer, isn't he, in terms of his skill set? He's like you mentioned, Pogba. For me, the most comparable player that I've seen to Deli Alley is Thomas yeah. Muller. Thomas Muller is someone you can't. Yeah. I couldn't tell you specifically what things that you would usually want out of a midfielder yes, or yeah. an attacker. Um, 
that Deli Ali actually has because I don't know. But what he does is yeah. is that he's he seems to be able to drift into space at the right time. That's right. Yeah, and and find that's, places that's to score goals. Um, yeah, yeah and he, skill, being in the right place at the right time. I mean that that is what Delhi does best. But he's he's not he's not an out and out number nine, which no. is the the odd thing, which is I think maybe where he suffered. Well, certainly when Kane started no, totally, injury totally problems, but do you think that's the issue with him? Is figuring out how to fit a team together that has him in it because he's not someone who's going to run a game. He will drift in and out of games. Thomas Muller's the same. Thomas Muller's never run a game in his life. And he had a pretty horrible spell of form, I think, um, towards the end of Ancelotti's time there. And that went on for like a year where people thought he was finished. And then suddenly in the last like several months, he's gotten really good again. Um, uh, do you think, because um, I think the one thing that maybe Ali has that, that Mourinho would like is he's, he's a really kind of spiky, fiery character. Mourinho does like those, those kind of things in his players. And Does, that was the one thing that I in, thought he in, t- he in terms of things Mourinho likes in his players, they like players that book <laughs> private hotel rooms. <laughs> I have to get that in. I'm not sure about that. You know, all I can say is that as long as he performs on the pitch, we're not too care what he does off it. He does a performance. Yeah, absolutely. Oh dear! But listen, there's a guy there. You know, he's got the capability again, Delhi. Again, you, look, you know, he's missing. This is this is the frustration Valley in in a sense that you know he's missing this game against United because he did something very, very silly and immature where obviously he mocked this virus, you know, the coronavirus. And, you know, this is what I mean about Delhi in terms of maturity level. You know, he's still got a bit of way to go. He's always learning all the time. But I think, you know, Spurs fans, the time now is to deliver. So next season is crucial for Delhi. I think it's absolutely crucial. You know, you spoke there, Mike, in the beginning, as I said, about it being, you know, the possibility of going on to become a great in the game in terms of the modern era. He can still do that 100%, but it's the lack of consistency at the moment that is stopping that. So I think, again, chaps, this time next season when we're previewing the game, I'll be able to tell you a lot more in terms of where Spurs are in terms of Jose yeah. Mourinho and Deli Alley. It's yeah. just at the moment, this enforced break, it's almost like it makes a reset. It's yeah. so strange. It's like football's yeah. hit a reset button. We're not sure what we're going to see on Friday night. We're seeing two teams that haven't kicked the ball in over three yeah. months. You know, United were in great form under Solskjaer. I was worried. I was really, really worried going into that game in, was it March, February, where yeah. you guys were really playing well. I'm beating in 11 games, I think you was, playing some great yeah. football. Confidence was brimming. We had a lot of our players out. I, I'm a lot more confident going into this game. But, you know, again, I'm just not sure what we're going to see on Friday. It's so difficult to judge. Well, Ricky, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, oh, to, to be quite honest, I couldn't have asked for a better Spurs fan to come on and to elaborate on certain topics. I like, I like the fact that you got the mutual dig at Arsenal in there when you mentioned the, the Van Persie transfer, <laughs> by the way. It was just like a sly dig while you've no. got two United fans of the Spurs fan on the show. No, but, but, but seriously, we, we, we had a guest lined up for this podcast. Um, Ricky took, we had a cancellation and Ricky basically took this invitation on the day we were recording. And I really appreciate it. But not only that, but he's come on and he's offered some very valuable insight into what a Tottenham fan is thinking about right now. What's your prediction for the game? Yes, chap. So I've, I'm have i going to remain consistent with what I've said on my podcast. You know, I'd love to sit here and say we're going to steamroll United. I'd love to sit here and say we're going to absolutely thump them. But to be honest, I'm going to be honest and you know see what I, say what I see. Uh, I think it will be a 1-1 draw, which isn't a good result for Tottenham. It leaves us really needing... <laughs> You know, a lot more points to try and get amongst those Champions League spots. And for United, I think 
maybe they take a point in a weird way because of the enforced break. You know, I think away United from would... home, I think I would take a point. In, in, in the grand scheme of things, that we win all the games we should win. Yeah, yeah. So I think one-one is not a great result for Tottenham. Probably not bad for United. It still keeps that reasonable distance. And I suppose for you guys, I think you know you're in a good position now for that fifth spot. Where uh, bearing in mind, you know, you can hold on to it and City don't overturn their ban, then it looks like you'll get Champions League football back at Old Trafford. Mike, your result for only got a Solskjaer, who Mourinho has apparently suggested, as per the Manchester Evening News, is out of his depth. Of course he said that. Um, <laughs> of course no he quotes, said that. that. Can I just, I know that is very, I know that has been reported, but there is no quotes, but you could imagine Mourinho doing that, which isn't great <laughs> for Tottenham. It's a typical Mourinho thing to do when he's done exactly yeah. the same kind of methodology yeah. where we've already got beaten by Lampard, if you remember his ex his ex player. Uh, we don't need any more encouragement from ex you know ex club. So I'm not too sure why that's been reported. Yeah. If it's true, we don't really need to hear it to be honest with you. Don't give him any more motivation, go sit that up in the change room, can you imagine? I don't even know if he'll he'll pay much attention to it. I'll be interested to know who in the evening news that, that came from by the way i think i've got a good idea but i'm not going to name it yeah yeah so let's not even i'm not even going to give much credibility to that frankly uh, he's not I worth crossed off my bread no he's absolutely not the person that i think's reported that anyway i think 1-1 is probably a good prediction i would have said 1-1 as well i it's we talk about home and away i don't know how that's going to play out in this scenario to be honest the, the one thing is i wonder what the intensity level of this game is going to be I know there's been a couple of teams that played a couple of behind closed door games, but I don't know how much of an indication that's going to give us. I think there was an 11 v 11 United had, and then we had the. Do we have one or two friendlies against other teams? So who who knows? And Spurs are probably in the same boat right now. So I think certainly in the, maybe the first half an hour, don't expect much good football. And I think one all is probably going to be the result that we come away with. I'm going to go with 2-0 United. And if you want an any-time goal score, I'm going to tip Harry Kane. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking. Only joking. 2-0 Manchester United, Harry Maguire. Any-time goal score is what I'm going for. Um, other than that, I really appreciate your time, Ricky. Um, coming on a Manchester United podcast and being outnumbered and... And being, I, I suppose, strong questions that you wouldn't be asked usually about Mourinho and stuff. Awkward questions, but you answered them all. I really appreciate it. I'm sure Mike appreciates it too, but to give us the time. Absolutely. Um, oh, my pleasure, chaps. No, it's been a real pleasure. And I've got to say, your, your knowledge on Tottenham, both of you, uh, it's, it's quite great to come on a pod where, um, to have that knowledge of the opposition. Uh, it's quite, You don't always find that when you go on to different pods. So... Really Don't always find it with talk. pundits. Never mind people. <laughs> there you go. But honestly, it's quite fa- it's quite fascinating where I'm having to defend Jose Mourinho on a United podcast. I've not had to do that for a while. To be honest, yeah. Tottenham fans, not United fans. But there you go. How can people? Because actually, I'm quite sure some of our listeners are are kind of open to the fact of listening to different podcasts. And even if it okay. is even even if it is a Spurs podcast, I think they might enjoy the contribution you've gave tonight how can people listen to your podcast and how can people follow you on social media yes so we are the last one on spurs you can find us on itunes spotify audio boom all the regular places you find your podcast we're on all applications android devices uh, we are on twitter 
at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Instagram at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook at Last Word on Spurs. You see where this trend is going. Um, so you can find <laughs> You've us across... certainly given the last word on Spurs. <laughs> you can find us across all those trends. And yeah, like I say, come and listen to us. We'll also be doing, which will go live eventually, where uh, we'll be doing a, a review of Spurs in this Amazon documentary, which to be fair, as United fans with Mourinho, definitely one to watch out for. You'll see everything with Mourinho behind closed door, doors, what he's like as a manager. So we're definitely going to be lining up some spoilers when that comes around. So feel free as United fans, come and join the misery of listening to us moan about Jose Mourinho every week like we've done for the last, yeah. I think, three or four months. So come, come, and join the, come and join. I'm sure you'll be able to definitely reminisce and understand the pain we've gone through so far. My I, would gen- I, would, yeah, I was going to say, I would genuinely encourage people to go and look at the last word on Spurs website. I checked it out earlier when I knew you were coming on and I was impressed. You could tell there's a lot of time and love that has gone into putting together what is a really slick-looking website. Oh, thank you. Thank you. As much as they kill us, we put more effort into it. I don't don't know why, but there you go. Anyway, you got the information how to follow Ricky on social media. You can follow Straighty News on social media too, at Straighty News and at Straightycast too. That supports the podcast. You can also become a member by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Straighty News. And look, just give any donation you want. We don't ask for any set donation whatever you think is right, it helps run the podcast, it helps support the blog and what we do on a day-to-day basis. So thanks for that and hopefully Manchester and I come away with three points at the weekend and especially against the special one. Sports Social Podcast Network.